listening to the Cross-Border Interviews with Chris Brown. Welcome back to another episode of the Cross-Border Interviews with Chris Brown. I'm your host, Christopher Brown. And today we are bringing back a guest we have not had on since November. That is because me, and I will be the first to admit that I've dropped the ball when it comes to city issues, but we are bringing back our contributor for the city issues here in the city of Calgary. And that is the former Ward 12 uh, council candidate, Mike Lavallee. Mike, thank you so much for doing this. It's an honor and a pleasure. Well, thank you, Chris, uh, and always enjoy being here to chat with you. Um, we are coming up to, if not, uh, I'm not sure, I don't know the exact date, but we are coming up to the sixth month, almost a, a half a year into this first year of this first new council under Mayor Jody Gondek. We have a lot to unpack because there's been a lot of things that we want to talk about. We are going to talk about the good, the bad, and yes, we're referencing a Clint Eastwood movie here, The Ugly. Um <laughs> While we we should start off with we, we should start off with the good, but I want to leave that to the end so that way it doesn't seem like we're dunking on this new council all the time. Oh, so you're, we're gonna, you're, you're so kind. I, I, I try to be. I try to be to my listeners and to the look at this current council. Um, I'm going to start off with the bad, and we have a lot to talk about here, so that's why I'm going to start off with it now. And uh, I want to first, though, get the overview, Um, and that's your overview of what you've thought over the last six months, and then we'll go into some specific issues on these good, the bad, and the ugly. But, Mike, last six months... Uh, you were a former candidate, so you have some opinions on this. Oh, absolutely. What, have, what have you thought about the last six months as a council, as a whole? And I want to know what your thoughts on where you are seeing them, how you are giving them a potential rating. What are, you, what are your thoughts on this new council six months into their first year? Well, six months in, you know, it we've had some time now. Uh, I know there was a number of councillors in their campaign uh, that they, you know, wanted to talk about their first hundred days, and that was too short. I mean, they go through about a month of orientation and just getting their feet on the ground there. So the 100 days was too fast, but I think it's fair to make some observations now that we're... I feel like that's an attack on my show, Mike. Like that was the last question I asked you. It was like 100 days in, I want you to come back in. But okay, go for it, go for it. Maybe this is why we didn't talk for the last three months. Not the fact that I was going through surgery and you were on the road. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, it wasn't so much for that. Actually, I kind of wanted to give a break to the counselors who who maybe didn't have a chance to accomplish what they hope to accomplish you know rather than throwing them under the bus in the first 100 days cut them some slack because maybe they weren't aware of the enormous amount of information they were going to be digesting in the, in the short period of time but um i think my overall impression overall view is very similar to what a lot of the population of Calgary has perceived the performance of our of our new mayor and council to be, and it, it hasn't been very stellar. Uh, just to be kind, um, in, in the first six months, there's been a lot of areas where they've kind of gone off the rails and, and and stepped in a little bit, and and that recent that showed in that Think HQ. Uh, poll that was that was recently done on on the approval ratings and 
the you know with the the mayor's approval rate at 38 percent um at less than six months in to a term is exceedingly low if you compare it to um mayor nenshi's uh early um approval ratings and even before mayor mayor nenshi with uh with bronconier you know they were in the 70s and 80s percent early on uh as far as their approval ratings now that that went up and down throughout the course of their terms but there was a honeymoon period um and uh, early on, especially for Mayor Nenshi. I mean, he he, he had a, a, a real strong honeymoon. I would say his first term was probably a, a bit of a honeymoon period, you know, and he won the best mayor in the world and, and, and all that was going on. And here we are five, six months <laughs> into our new council and the approval rating of 38% uh, for the mayor. That, uh, that that's, that's, says speaks volumes. Uh, right there, I think. Now, just to play a little devil's advocate, because I, like I said, we're leaving the good to the end, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna throw a little shade here. But Mayor Gondek didn't win with much more support than that. So, uh, if you, if I'm not mistaken, she won with 39. percent So, 39 percent of the population voted for her. 38 percent that thinks that she's doing a good job. And you have to remember, there was 28 counts, 28, 27, 26, or a million, depending on how, what day it was, uh, mayoral candidates running against her, but it was a divided field. And I, I think it, it might be, and this is just me being me here and maybe Mike will throw a little bit back at me, but people are still upset that their chosen candidate did not win. So I, I, I can be, I, I can be optimistic that it might be just a blip, but I can also see where you're coming from that after a new uh, council is elected. They usually do get a honeymoon phase. I just don't see where a honeymoon phase happened for this council or this mayor. No, n- not at all. And 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 she even acknowledged that you know that that wasn't happening er- early on. And uh, we, you know, with the comment, I think the quote that came of her was, oh, "I wasn't elected to be popular." Well, that's you kind of you are. Um, that's kind of the way it goes. Yeah. Um, we, did, we didn't erect, elect a ruler, we elected somebody to represent us and, and you kind of need to be speaking with people represent. But a couple of things that happened really early, the, um, the climate emergency almost before they got sworn in was starting to be discussed. And then the arena deal. Yeah. Um, and, and those are city. those are two big things that a lot of people, well, the arena, like let's climate change, whatever, if you want to talk about that, we can, but the arena deal is where a lot of people, like the Davison supporters, the Farkas supporters were very upset about that deal falling through and they laid it right at the feet of Mayor Gondek, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And and she kind of admitted that too. And laying it at her feet too, and, and I'll, I'm going to spread the blame uh, a little bit. It, that wasn't all Mayor Gondek. So, for example, if you go back and if you, you kind of go through and the day by day and, and the play by play of all that happened, because it was all in that kind of Christmas holiday type time frame. So there was a lot happening it, during a time when people may not have been paying as much attention as they could have because of other things happening. But there was uh, a motion brought up to have an emergency meeting 
about the deal because it appeared to be falling apart. One of the existing counselors, and for the life of me, I can't remember who it is right at this moment, put forth the motion, hey, we should have an emergency meeting on this to, to discuss this and see if there's something that we can do or what, find out exactly what's going on. For that meeting to take place, you have to have the votes of other counselors to make that happen. The other counselors didn't vote to have that meeting. So as much as the blame is being thrown on the mayor and her involvement in it, and quite frankly, a lot of it's deserved. She started it with some tweets. You shouldn't be, you know, debating these, these issues through Twitter. Uh, probably it's not the best place to do it. But they, there was no help from the other counselors. They, they were as guilty, if you want to point guilt or blame, I guess, not so much guilt, but blame on, on that deal falling apart. The counselors that did not vote to have a meeting and discuss what was happening to see if they could save the deal, they are as much at fault as the mayor on this. It's just the mayor was the face of the situation. Well, and that's what, and I love that you set me up. You are like, oh, I miss your mic. I'm, I'm so happy that we're, we're back doing this on a regular basis. <laughs> but I, I want to talk about that for a second because we have to remember, and this is what I wanted to hit home during that last election. The mayor is one vote. The mayor of this city is one vote. There is 14 other M, uh, MLAs. There are 14 other councillors who make up this council. A majority needs to get things done. The mayor is one person. They, he or she directs council, directs the direction of where the council is going. But if they do not have the support of the majority of the councillors, nothing gets done. And let's be honest, the mayor directs the council, but if a majority of councillors wants to vote against the mayor, they have the right to. We've seen a few times throughout this. So I agree with you. This is not just laying at the feet of the current mayor. This is a, and there are some councillors who did vote to have an emergency meeting to sit down with Calgary Sports Entertainment. And I understand there are sports, whatever they want to call themselves. So I agree that it's not just the mayor's issue. And I tried to make sure that people were aware of that, that this election, you're not just voting for the mayor, you're voting for your councillors. And those councillors have to be part of the decision making. It's not just a one person uh, monopoly here. Yeah, a lot of times the councillors get let off the hook. Uh, for things like this. And, and we see that a little bit in the results of that Think HQ survey, where overall councillors have fared better in their approval ratings than the mayor currently is. Some of that could be due to the fact that they're not understanding that maybe their councillor has been support right there for the mayor and just the mayor has been the, the voice or the face of it. Um, and it also could be that some counselors are doing a better job of keeping things on track. So that some of that positivity may have got spread around and, and brushed off in terms of popularity of the other counselors. But um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you on that because I don't think that and this this is me being the cynical here, and that's kind of weird being the host, but <laughs> I don't think the majority of people know who their counselor is. I, even though that we just went through an election. I would be very surprised, and you have the Think HQ poll up because I see you looking over for those who are listening to this online or yeah. through audio. Um, I don't think the majority of people would know who their counselor is, even after the election that we just had less than six months ago or just six months ago. You're, you're bang on. 
Um, yeah. You're absolutely big on. I run into that when I'm talking to people out around the city um, regularly, and that actually plays out in that data that was collected on this recent poll. So, for example, um, when you talk about the mayor uh, and her approval and disapproval ratings, there's there's a a section, there's a response criteria for those that are unsure whether they are approving or disapproving. Well, of all the respondents, only 9% were unsure how they thought about the mayor and her performance to date. And when it came to counselors, 24% of respondents were unsure when it came to approving or disapproving of their counselor's performance. So that, to your point, they might know who the counselor is, know who the counselor is. They might not know where their counselor has stood on the various issues that have come up and have been in, in the media uh, and in the news and making news since the new council has come in. But I think to your point, the data from that poll and that survey um, bang on reinforces your, your suspicion that they might not know a, who their counselor is, or B, really where they're standing and how they've been voting on the issues. Well, and that goes to one of my sort of bad things that have been happening. Um, and this is this is not just to our current crop of counselors, but it's also to the media as well. And I say media as in like the the uh, globals, the CBC, CTVs, the sort of the people who, the, 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 what, the channels that you turn on every night. You don't see... Counselor for Ward 10. You don't see Counselor for Ward 5. You see Gondek, Gondek, Gondek. The mayor is the face of everything and understandable that she is the spokesperson. But I want to know what my counselor is doing. I want to know. And I, I agree that that would potentially have to be my responsibility to go and contact them. But the media needs to do a better job, in my opinion, of actually contacting, address, and asking those questions to those counselors because. Again, mayor's one vote out of 15. Absolutely. And, and a ward or a neighborhood's counselor has that more direct tie uh, to the interests and representing those people. It'd sure be nice if people living in a neighborhood knew how their counselor was voting and, and got to hear them on a regular basis in terms of where they stand uh, on the various issues. Um, I'm gonna. There's been such a, a change in some of the in some of the wards. If you think of Ward 11, um, you know, the, the previously uh, represented by Jeremy Barkas, who who be, who became mayoral candidate, you know, was a bit of an attack dog. Um, he was uh, Pierre Polyev of uh, of City Council um, to a certain extent, right? And you know, very much always attacking budget, budget, budget you know let's talk about this let's talk about this so much and his replacement who has since been re-elected has really one kind of claim to fame it was her motion that we vote on an official bird for the city of calgary and understandable and i i will be up front she's been on the show a few times and i do enjoy the company of the councillor penner she is a great person um Council doesn't always have to be so negative. It doesn't have to be all bells and whistles, right? And I will agree, it was a weird motion to name a bird. I still think the magpie should have won. I think we could fight over what it should have won and what should or what will win or what shouldn't win. But 
it's a 180 in focus from what we're used to seeing. Exactly. And but hey, they are two different people. So you're gonna get that, right? Because if you look at 13, Diane Urquhart Collier, who was the counselor for 20 years, was more of a centrist and very okay, we'll go with the grain, we'll do what we need to do. And then you have now Dan McLean, who mm-hmm. is kind of the conservative voice on council and you would not have gotten that so it when you look at apples to oranges it's there but i'm just courtney penner okay (laughs) birds if that's your thing but i have no (laughs) don't get me wrong i like birds we have big trees in the front yard I, I, I enjoy the birds that come in there. The chickadee would probably get my vote of the birds that uh, that are there. Um, but magpie, uh, magpie. <laughs> anyway, but no, understandable. You have to remember, and Farkas had four years to become that, right? Because I don't remember, and I wasn't here, and you would probably be a little bit better to explain this. But Farkas wasn't the attack dog when he first got elected, was he? It, not super early on but he certainly gained momentum there yeah. quite quickly yeah well exactly and maybe we're only six months into the term so maybe in a year's time when we do this again or if we come back in a year's time who knows who will be the attack dog who, because there is going to be some jockeying to be the and I say this with all respect to this current council, this current mayor, but there's going to be the alternative to Gondek here soon. Um, Yeah, so I've had some conversations with with some people fairly close to council and it's not, this isn't really a secret. You can see it playing out when you see some of the voting and some of the comments that come, that do come to the media from different councillors. you know, there are starting to be lines drawn in terms of those that are thinking one way and those that are thinking another way. There tends yeah. to be, you know, a group that votes one way and a group that will vote the other way. And as much as it got discussed a lot in the last election because of the criticisms that were aimed at uh, Mr. Farkas in terms of dividing people, we're seeing some divisions happen already in current council in terms of the way they found the vote. And I'd be kind of surprised if we didn't see that divide deepen a little bit going going forward as they yeah. start to butt heads a little bit more often on some of the larger issues. I, I, I wish there was an actual honeymoon phase where everyone could be kumbaya and get along, but we live in Twitter world where nothing actually ever is a honeymoon anymore. Um, this council, and I, we were talking about this prior to the... Uh, uh, the recording of the show and our pre-interview, I said, I've looked back on the last six months and I, I, I gauge on how this council has affected my life. As in, how has it uh, made my life better? How has it done things to make sure that I want to still stay here? And I told you, and I, I was blunt with you, and I said, I can't look at one item and say, okay, my life is better because of a decision this council has made. And I I could be a minority in this situation when I say that, but for yourself, have you, like, is there a big ticket item? I know the budget was very quick. We have the arena deal, but that doesn't really affect me at the end of the day because it's, it is what it is. The green, the climate change, again, not really that big of a deal for me. 
uh, zoning bylaws. Yet again, nothing really happening in the Northeast. What about yourself? Have you have you gotten that one item where you can say, okay, I'll give you credit where credit's due? Um, not particularly. <laughs> um, there's, there's been certainly far more that have hit home to the negative way that if you say, you know, you try to think of an item that has affected your life that, that has happened in the city and, and we're going to be getting some bills in the mail quite shortly. Um, well, we've already got our assessments and I can tell you, I am not impressed with mine. <laughs> <laughs> the, the assessments are out. I mean, those are going to be followed up with the, the actual tax bill. And so if you're looking you know, there, there are all the other issues and there's been a lot of noise, certainly, since we've had this, uh, since October, we've had this uh, change in council. But if you're looking at what has actually happened, like what's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, whether the road is paved or full of potholes or it's smooth, where the rubber meets the road, um, the, the biggest thing that has happened so far that's going to impact people here very, very quickly, and for some it already has, some that are on the tax installment payment program on TIP uh, have already seen their bill go up um, this year in anticipation of what's coming out. But the taxes are going up um, on average 3.8%. Um, 3.88%, sorry, I'm gonna round it to four. We'll just say four because it's it's very close rounding and we'll say 4%, but uh, so yeah, so you can say four percent. I'm gonna always say three point eight eight percent because that, I guarantee you that one person's gonna say send me negative hate mail saying it's only three point eight eight percent, three point eight four percent or whatever it was. But anyway, go ahead. But yeah, that that is something that is going to affect um, homeowners, uh, it, and it doesn't affect just homeowners. Um, it, it'll trickle down if you're renting um, in an apartment, and the people that own that apartment. Your rent's going to go up. Yeah, your rent's going to go up. You know, so a lot of people don't see it immediately. They don't think, oh, geez, it's property taxes. I don't write a check once a year or 12 times a year to pay my property taxes, but you do. And, and it's not only in your cost of where you live, but if taxes are going up at that corner store where you shop, as well, and they have to raise their prices in these inflationary times because their, their costs are going up as well. It affects people in a lot of ways that they might not might not be readily apparent. They don't think of right off the top of their head, but but it all trickles down. Um, so. Well, and the worst part is, and this this is this is this is the ugly part of taxes in June or in May June. Inflation is kicking a lot of people's asses right now. And I apologize for swearing, but I need to because a lot of people are feeling the squeeze because gas prices are rising, food prices are rising, and now they're expecting a 3.8% tax bill increase this year as well. And I understand that September or October is not uh, May, and you could not have predicted that uh, inflation was going to hit this hard. But we did have some councillors on this council advocating for a 0% increase, but that did not uh, work. No, it could have, but they chose for it not to. Um, There is places they decided to spend some more money and and make adjustments because the budget was basically approved for the year by the previous council. So it was an interim adjustment and they chose to, they chose to adjust it up 
to match some initiatives that they brought with them when they were elected. So, and I want to, <laughs> I'm going to quote, uh, do you remember the um, politician, provincial politician with his infamous quote back in a provincial election debate when he made the comment to Ms. Notley and he said, I know math is hard. Um, you know, it was which went on to lose him an election. <laughs> it, it went on to lose him, an, but hey, I've already lost, so I'm going to say math is hard because uh, I've got nothing to lose at this point. But I, I have a bit of a beef because I, I was listening to uh, an interview with a with a current counselor, and they once again the the three point eight eight four percent increase that you and I are going to have to pay came up. And the um, oh, we got a quote here. We got a quote. I'm assuming you're pulling out a quote here. What's pulling the- out a quote? And, and, and I said, it, it, you know, never. They were trying to justify the, that increased amount because it didn't even keep up with population growth and inflation. I can. It bugs me to no end when they talk about the percentage increase that the individual taxpayer pays, and they bring out the phrase growth plus inflation because that's wrong it's bad math when if you talk total total taxation amount for the city the total amount that the city takes in taxation as a whole the, the whatever the operating budget for the for the city say yes you're going to have it's going to cost more if the city's larger because you have to provide more services and maintain roads and all that sort of thing so you have population growth figures in but when you are talking about the increase that every individual taxpayer has to pay, shouldn't population growth shouldn't be figured into there? Because guess what? When you have population growth, what do you have more of? More taxpayers, more tax rate. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> you, you're, you're, so, I so can do in, math. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, so the math isn't hard, but our council, and they did it before, in previous administrations, and they're starting on it again, justifying increases based on well plus inflation. Inflation, I get. I mean, everybody is very aware of inflation right now. But an individual paying a higher percentage increase because of population growth, that math, it that dog doesn't hunt. <laughs> I this is my big beef with councils and how they increase taxes once they first get elected. If we all remember back to 2021 budget, we didn't see a tax increase. We saw a 0% tax rate. This year being the first year, oh, no one's going to remember three years ago, so we can increase the taxes. I will put dollar to dime Money, like my house against your house, Mike, that in year four of this term, this council, we will see a 0% tax increase. And I say that because it's an election year, and that's when we want to seem like we're fiscal conservatives, not like we're liberals in 2022. So I hope, and I say this with all respect to all the taxpayers out there right now, please remember that... It doesn't matter what they do in year four. It's what is the lead up to year four. That is my one wish for everyone to remember before we continue on, because it seems like a lot of people forgot that last year. (laughs) 
I tried driving at home during the campaign last year. I spoke about it for 12 months. It look at the 10 year average and I, and I had a, a chart and I showed how it doubled in 10 years in terms of the amount of tax that we we're paying. You it's, had the, sh- you had the chart on our episode that I did with you as a candidate. <laughs> you were like, look at this. So I was like, okay, that doesn't help for those who are listening. But, yeah. okay. <laughs> but, but, but that it's the facts, it's data. It's, it's, it's nothing that can be argued. It, it's what happened. And I should say Calgary is not a unicorn in this situation. Every council does this. Edmonton, Strathcona, you name it. Uh, Toronto, back like Slave Lake, Alberta, Lethbridge, they all do this. And they all try to seem like they're fiscal conservatives in the third year, fourth year. But the first year, they're like, well, we didn't pass it. The last council made this budget for us. No, technically, they, they might have put the framework together, but you still passed it. So you cannot blame anyone in the previous term. Well, uh, our, our federal <laughs> government, how many times have they blamed the Harper uh, administration for things? Isn't this inflation due to Harper? Like COVID's because of Harper, isn't it? That's what Justin Trudeau is <laughs> I'm never getting a liberal back on the show. So no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I just threw you under the bus with that one. But it's, it's a good comparison because it's something that they've been doing. And, and yeah, you're right. You see governments at all three levels. Um, do it municipally, um, provincially, and, and federally. You know, talk about what's happened. But like I, anyone- my, my wish, if I had a wish, quit focusing on what happened before and fix what you can now. Don't point the finger of blame. If you're going to point, you know, to, to, to use uh, Michael Jackson, start with the man in the mirror. Um, that, that that's the person that can make the biggest difference. You're really throwing Jim Prentice under the bus today. Look in the mirror, Alberta. Now you're talking about math is hard. Wow. <laughs> well, well, look at the mirror was meant for the politicians. But yeah, you know, and it's easy. And, and I'm doing it here too. It's very easy to to point out flaws. But oh. what can it's it's the opposition is the easiest thing going. Pointing out what's good. Or having an alternative rather than just pointing out what's wrong and then just leaving it at that. Um, you know, that's much harder and requires some it requires some thought. And, and I will say that this budget, this budget that the council passed in earlier this year and maybe even last year, or I'm not sure yeah. exactly when they passed, but it did have some good things in it. I will be the first to admit it did have some good things in it. I was very happy, and I, I know this saying this as a white man and with a white man guest on the show. I was happy that they increased the funding to the police service because I want to feel safe in my own home. I think they can do better protecting our the minorities in our community, but I want to feel safe in my own home. I had someone with a gun show up at my house. The Calgary police were here on a dime, and I appreciate that. And I will say that that was the probably one of the smartest moves that they did do is pass that budget with the increase. And I understand that people might be upset about that. If you want to send me hate mail, please do. I will file it in the correct location. But I think it was one of the smartest moves that this council did or so early on. So yeah. I, I, I will give them credit where credit's due. Uh, yeah, and I, and I don't disagree with you there. Um, as some others in the media have pointed out, it even that decision didn't come without a certain amount of controversy and hypocrisy because... We talked about it, right? <laughs> because some of those people that voted against supporting the police and the budget 
were also the ones that said, yeah, no, we should spend $8,000 a piece and increase our security systems at our homes and have the taxpayers pay for it. So, so, so. <laughs> Hypocrisy, <laughs> thy name is counsel. <laughs> um, but I want to stick to uh, the issue of policing right now, because the police in the last six months have gotten a bad rap and understandable and they deserve some. Um, but we want to make sure that we do our due diligence here and remind people that we are two white people talking about this issue because there will be people who listen to this and be upset about this. Um, the Calgary Police Service has gone through a lot of troubles in the last six months, and they've shot an unarmed black man in his house, um, an innocent black man. They are dealing with a lot of systematic racism, and this council, with uh, their two members on the Calgary Police Service Board, John Carlo Cora and uh, Councillor Courtney Walcott, have tried to make the police service adapt to the changing times. Um, before I ask the million-dollar question, which I ask a lot of those, um, what's your thoughts on the Calgary Police Services as it is today, Mike? I think that they have an incredibly difficult job to do in, in our current environment. And our current mayor um, hasn't done them any favors either because there's been some attacks, um, kind of you should do this, or you should do that. And very careful not to actually phrase it like that because we can't, um, because it, it that's why we have a, a police commission and it should be arm's length. But it's been no secret that our, our, our current mayor has been at odds or butted some heads and some opinions with with the police. And, and that, geez, that just never looks good on on any political figure, um, kind of regardless of, of what it is. So 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 that hasn't that's complicated the issue as well. I, I think overall, I think our police service is, if you look at policing in North America, um, and you know we are inundated with situations and news that comes from south of the border as well, um, they have a very different system in many areas uh, of the U.S. Where you know their chief of police is a local elected official, um, basically. So that throws a whole different spin on it. Yeah. But I, I think in the grand scheme of policing in say North America. Um, I think our police service does a pretty good job and they're pretty progressive compared to certainly a lot of places. Um, and even some Canadian jurisdictions as well. Like we're seeing, you know, we saw in the last number of years, you know, the Toronto's police force doing some things and, and, and you know, being under fire for some situations as well. So it, it's, I think the police force is trying to do a lot of the right things. Um, it comes down to individuals. And once again, I look at that man in the mirror, it starts with an individual and, and, and how they act on a regular basis. And, and you have to deal with those situations when you come up. It's nothing's ever going to be perfect, but when things aren't perfect, how do you deal with it? Says more about it than as much about it as the event that may have occurred. 
Well, it, it's it, the segue it segues into our, our kind of our a bigger topic that we have seen here in Calgary and across the province and across the country as well, and that's the protests, the COVID nineteen lockdown mandates, the end the lockdown mandates, the freedom convoys, the protests in the Beltline here in the city of Calgary, the protest outside City Hall, and now. Um, whatever side of that uh, situation you fall on, you have the right to your opinion. It might be wrong in my opinion, but you have the right to your opinion. I will never disagree with anyone who has a different opinion than me because that will make, that's what makes our democracy great. The Calgary police took a massive hit. Before we talk about the protests, I want to talk about the police response because they did, it did seem, and yet again, this is the Twitterverse and you should never know what Twitter, you should never follow exactly what Twitter says. But the Twitterverse went crazy after uh, the uh, Calgary police were taking out the anti-protesters of the protesters, the like counter-protesters, I should say. So they did take a little bit of a hit. Um, in in situations like this, there is no winning. And like Mike said, we we do seem to have a bit of more of a progressive police force than other cities. No one's perfect. And mm-hmm. that's that's what I'm going to just end that statement on. No one's perfect. People get things wrong. In the heat of a moment, things are done that they shouldn't do. And understandable, that's what possibly happened. I wasn't there, so I cannot comment fully on what transpired. I only see the reports that were on Twitter. And let's be honest, like I said, Twitter is not the end-all be-all of what actually happened. But I will say, no one's perfect. And if you think you are, give your head a shake and, and to quote Michael Jackson and Jim Prentice, maybe you should look in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, I, I, I want to have two comments on that. First of all, I agree with you completely on that. The um, second thing is that I've never been a police officer. I have never had to kiss my wife goodbye in the morning, not knowing for sure if I'm going to make it home for dinner or not. We have had situations in the city of Calgary where police have died on duty making a routine traffic stop. Up here in the Northeast. It happens. Uh, It has happened. I would like to say it's not going to happen again, but at some point it probably will. They, They have an extremely dangerous and difficult job to do. And the pressure of that every day and I don't want to defend anybody's actions, and I'm not speaking about anybody in particular, but it's it's hard to imagine that kind of pressure and working in that environment every day. That 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 has to weigh on a person. And sometimes, in like you mentioned, in the heat of the moment, maybe that affects the way you react to a situation. And and not everyone's like that, right? If you are put into a situation where there's a conflict going on you are going to act differently than if there was no conflict going on so i just i'm not defending what happened i'm not defending what took place but i'm just saying let's let's big picture people and the second (laughs) point i want to do i want to make on that is that i'm going to turn it back around and put some of the blame on on that the police have taken over that back on city officials these protests had been going on for a while. It, it was not new before the police started getting 
involved. There had been protests over a number of weeks uh, that had happened. There was kind of unrest in, in the community that this was happening, was taking place. It was upsetting people's where they live, where they work, their businesses. It was there. People that are protesting, they're protesting because they want to have their voices heard. And, and, and they would like to have a conversation with an official. And in this case, they wanted to have conversations with city officials. Nobody from council or the city of Calgary took their time out early on in the process before early on in the protest. They could have done this, same as the protests in Ottawa. When they went there, when they first went there, somebody could have came out and could have said, hey, I understand where you're coming from. You know, and, and it's important to hear all the sorts of views. Here's our position on it and have a conversation like you and I are having a conversation right now. And it could have maybe diffused the situation, but that's not what happened. And just to play devil's advocate on that. And this is this is how I this how this is how I viewed it. And this is my opinion and only my opinion. And this is nothing to do with Mike. He just not knowing but to say this. But if you call for the overthrow of a government if you call for the death of a, a politician at that point in time i am on the side of the politician you have no right to have a conversation with anyone you need to go home sit in your corner and just relax and if you want to send me hate mail which i've gotten a few in the last few months do it but if you want to have a civil conversation let's have a civil conversation the moment you start calling for death, the the F word thrown around, like F this, F that, F Gondek, F Trudeau, F Kenny, and this is for the left and the right. No. Have a civil conversation. Yes, let's have a conversation. But do not think that you can, because you're the loudest voice in the room, means that you automatically get your way, because it doesn't. No, um, and you're absolutely right. And for example, if we talk about, you know, we're getting off a of city for a second, if you look at what happened in Ottawa, you know, you can't go there and say, well, because we're occupying Capitol Hill, um, we're going to get our way and the government's going to change its policies. Well, no, they're automatically not going to change because you can't do it because yeah. somebody came in in the manner that they did. Exactly. Now, that being said, if we let's rotate it back to Calgary a bit here again. I'm saying that governments and officials, councillors, mayors, um, provincial officials, locally, um, if you were to, rather than hoping that an issue goes away, if you were to start at the very, when these things first pop up, if you were to start and have a conversation and listen to people and have this conversation back and forth, hey, here's what we can do. Here's what we can't do. Here's why. Here's some of the issues involved. Maybe you diffuse it before it all gets out of hand and we don't get to the death threats and everything yeah. else like that. You know, I, it, and I'll agree with you. Acting on. early, and, and that's something that the, our, our governments aren't doing, acting early and calmly and having that conversation is not in the playbook right now. Be proactive, not reactive. <laughs> um. As much as we could probably talk about a good hour on the protest, which I probably will have someone on to talk about them. Yeah. I want to talk about something a little bit closer to home to you. And I kind of have not heard one thing about it in the last three months. Actually, probably since 
I'd actually probably even say since December. And that's the green line. Oh. Yeah. You're poking a bear with a stick. I'm I'm glad I'm poking a bear because we all remember in September, mm-hmm. actually in August, Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, came to Calgary with uh, counselor, uh, then Councillor George Shahal, Mayor Nenshi, every councillor besides, if I'm not mistaken, Jeremy Farkas, we're all there. We're all standing in the Whitehorn uh, bus deep, uh, the train station said, shovels in ground in fall 2021. Our Ward 12 counselor, Mr. Keating, was there and spoke for easily 30 minutes in yep. that presentation with Mr. Trudeau standing right beside him. And we are now spring 2022. Last time I checked. Ooh, where's the beef? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that was on some of the candidates' first hundred days, you know, to have that taken care of. Um, first of all, I'm going to cut them a little. I'm going to start by cutting them a little slack, and then I'm going to take it all back. But uh, the, the slack I'm going to cut them is that as they get into the process um, and the hard costs, where now companies are are putting their quotes and their bids in for the cost. The costs now are getting real. And, you know, when they plan these things and they have budgets, they don't go down that fine. They're kind of big picture and, you know, kind of per kilometer, this is what we think it should cost. And, you know, given the economic situation and everything, and they come up with a kind of a, an overview budget for the thing. Well, now that we're getting very close to, as you say, the shovel's going to the ground, now the cost, we can actually have some numbers that we're adding up and, and the costs are getting very real. And they're discovering that, oh, geez, maybe we don't have the money we need to do as much as we hope to do. But I thought they had this all planned out. And yeah, that's, no. that, that's what that whole federal announcement was, was here's the money, province matched it, City yep. had it. Shovels and ground in uh, fall 2021. It is now 2022, and I have not seen a official groundbreaking ceremony at all. No, because when they announce those budgets, it's not that they've got all the quotes from all the thousand contractors that are going to work up, and it's going to cost this much for concrete, it's going to cost this much for gravel, it's going to cost this much for land excavation. They haven't got it down to that detail. So they overall get that big picture. That's the process. They get the big picture of what they believe is going to cost according to the consultants. But now you have to add up the real numbers to and, and issue an award contracts to start work. And there's been a little bit of, okay, holy cow, look at this, what this adds up to now at the, at, at the bottom of the spreadsheet. So, which comes back, like so I cut them a little bit of slack because they, didn't have the exact numbers and things have gotten crazy expensive since that funding was all was was all put in place that being said these sorts of things happen and when you're managing a project you have to be able to roll with the punches and keep things moving and and make the best decisions at the time and once again, I hate to say I told you so, but... No, you don't. <laughs> no, I'm you don't, Aid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so let me take that back. That wasn't true. I like to say I told you so. But when it comes down to, okay, we're doing this project, 
and our costs are escalating, let's look at some of the most expensive areas and some of the least expensive areas. And where can we get the most bang for our buck in, in terms of completing this, moving people, connecting neighborhoods and work facilities and entertainment venues and everything else with the people of Calgary in the most cost-effective way. And you know what? It isn't building a station at Eau Claire so that we can get ready to go across the river so that at some point we go 10 blocks to 16th Avenue. That's not cost-effective. Are we still fighting if we're actually going under or over the actual river? No, we're over now. We're going over because under was just too much money. It was, it was, a, it was a pipe dream that would never happen. Logistically, you would have had at that first stop, once you got to the north side of the river, you would have had to take an elevator like 10 stories down to get to the from surface to where the train station was going to be. It There's a whole bunch of reasons why that wasn't going to work out. But instead of building stuff that complicated corridor where we have excellent bus service now and BRT and it already runs and it's one of the most used services down Center Street to straight shot to downtown on the base of the Calgary Tower. It's already there. We've got it. And it's expensive to go across the river and it's expensive to go up Center Street and it's going to make traffic worse because the new plan is to not acquire any land but build it up the center of Center Street so instead of the four really crowded lanes that are there, we're going to take two of them out and have one really crowded lane going each way. Traffic will come to a standstill. And all the small businesses along Center Street won't have any traffic that can stop in front of their store anymore. There's a whole bunch of things that are wrong with that. But instead of that complicated and expensive way of doing it, we could simplify the process of what we're looking at and come to the south where, guess what? The land is there. It's vacant. We could, in term, you wanted shovels in the ground? We could be digging now. We could have been digging last winter and they still won't go there. And it's just, it's mind numbing that they haven't made that adjustment because they're so fixated on this is what we thought our best plan was going to be that they haven't been able to adjust. That That's my piece on the green line. And I'm, I'm sorry, it's just, it's a very sore, sore spot for me, especially here in Ward 12, because it's going to really impact. You can do the best thing for the city and the best thing for Ward 12 at the same time by coming here. Well, and that's, it's just, it's mind boggling that we are six months in and I, I don't hear about it that often anymore. And I know they've appointed a manager of the Green Line who's going to look after the project. But as one of the biggest projects the city is going to undertake, that as of April 12th, when we're recording this, has not been canceled. Why isn't this the priority of our council right now? And I, I understand because... We, we the, the entire election, I spoke to councillors, candidates down in Ward 12. I spoke to councillors uh, in Ward 4, Ward 3. Yeah. They want the green line to go up to Ward 3. But if we are still arguing after all the money's there, everything we've been talking about this line since when? 2010, even before then? Yeah. It seems like, if anything, let's just say, screw it let's go back to the drawing board and find a new solution because yeah. this solution isn't getting anywhere and it's not getting done. And, and if and, I was. And in, and in fairness to council, and once again, I, I'm, I don't want to con 
continually be seen as throwing them under the bus. So I'm going to say, you know, maybe there have been some things happening behind the scenes that haven't been communicated very well. So, but if they're in, <laughs> which is weird because they all told me the ones that came on the show who are elected communications was their key priority. Yes. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment, actually, but the, uh, if there's things going on, Hey, why not an update? Why not send out uh, an email to people or put it in a community newspaper? Hey, here's a green line update. If it was one of your top priorities to address in the first hundred days, Hey, we're coming up on double that. Um, and everybody's about communication and it's better if we communicate and everything. So maybe we're wrong in that these things that are happening, I'm pretty sure I'm not, but if I am wrong, then just throw us some, throw us a bone. Yeah. Throw it's, it's the biggest thing that's going to hit the expense to this city. We've got partners in the provincial and federal levels, throw us a bone, talk about a little bit more about what's happening. Let Just us know. Anyone who wants to, if there's a, someone from City Hall right now who's listening to this, who wants to come on the show and tell me exactly the status of where the green line is, invitation is, a, there's a standing invitation right here, right now. Because yet again, I'm Ward 10. So this there's no skin in this for me. This is not coming near me. This is not coming around me. I would not be a beneficiary of the green line. But I heard from residents, I heard from candidates that the green line was their top priorities in Ward 12. So if it is, let's talk about it. Let's have that conversation. Let's have the conversation and let's have the conversation now before six months more pass and we get to October and the ground, the shovels are still not in the ground. The other neat thing about the green line is that it's not just a Calgary issue. It's more of a regional issue. I, I was at a function, a social function here a couple of weeks ago, and I was speaking with a former counselor from a county. I don't want to mention his name or what county, but neighboring on Calgary. And we talked about regional issues and regional management of, of infrastructure and transportation and that sort of thing. And, and, and we spoke a little bit about the, the partnership uh, along the purple line that runs out 17th Avenue to our community, uh, our, our partners you know, like Chestermere um, uh, to the east of us. Where now we have an agreement to move people. You know, there's a bus service that the city of Calgary is yeah. partnered with with Chestermere to move people in, make use of that purple line uh, bus rapid transit and a very expensive bridge that we built over Deerfoot Trail that only buses can go on. Sorry, I've had once again the aggravated with that. But anyway, let's yeah. But but to make use of that, and that's good because that's thinking not only of ourselves but the way that we can work effectively with people in our region and, and our neighbors. Um, you know, we like getting, we travel through their city. We take, you know, we go to resources in their city and vice versa. And, and it's partnering with these neighboring communities. Once again, to circle back to the green line, if we went to the deep south edge of the city into Seton in Ward 12, right before the river, that would open up another regional opportunity to move people from Okotoks and High River and Black Diamond and Turner Valley and all those places 
just south of the city that come in and use our services. And you know what? If it was easier and cost more cost effective and greener from a climate perspective for them to get downtown on the train, maybe that would help alleviate some of our downtown problem too and relate back to that. So it all ties in. So it it'd be interesting to have an update on that for sure. I, I trains, planes, and automobiles. It's a great, <laughs> great title of this episode, but I will leave, I will leave this topic on this statement. If we bring it to seat in the green line, it's easier to build a train, a rail line from Seton to Okotoks. And this is my pet peeve. Alberta needs to be more connected. And if you have rail systems going from Okotoks to the downtown core, Let's put it this way. What's the one thing that we need in the downtown core? Businesses. Okotoke residents are looking for business opportunities. They might want to build it in the hub of Alberta. So jump on the uh, green line, get up to downtown core. There you go. Look at that. What if it connects them to Edmonton on the new high-speed train? Exactly. I, I, I'm, I'm from Southern Ontario. So uh, like the via rail, the go train is the lifeblood of the GTA. You can get from one end of the GTA to another in two hours flat. And that is taking from Oshawa all the way to Hamilton. And that's one train all the way across. If you want to do business, you jump on the train, you're there. If you want to live in, out in the rural communities, you jump on the train, you're in Toronto in 45 minutes. Trains are the future. That's my in, in a former life, I had many meetings in Toronto. I know of which you speak. So exactly. Um, one area that you want to talk about, and I want to talk about as well, and that is communications. Communications, communications, communications. I'm gonna go first on this because I will be blunt. Andre Chabot, Ward 10 Counselor, where are you? Because I've uh checked my mail every day. Um, I've not seen any flyers, any notices. I don't see that much social media activity from you. I don't hear from you on council that often. Where are you? Like, if you get again, standing invitation, I invited you on during the count during the election. You said you might want to, but you didn't get back to me. Still standing invitation to come back on the show. Um, counselors. There are some who do the Twitter and the social media, and I guess that, I, that is kind of a area that people get communications from, but a lot of people don't. Remember, Twitterverse and Facebook are not the be-all, end-all of communication, so get off that and actually go start knocking doors. It's nice and sunny out, and do as provincial and federal politicians should. Go knock some doors. See what your constituents want. Or send a letter, send an email. Um, exactly. There's, there's another way of doing it. Uh, I I have a Twitter account. Yep. Um, I started it very late during the campaign. Under, I had said I'm never going. I said I'm never going to have a Twitter account. Um, uh, anything I've ever seen come out of Twitter was negative. I was of the opinion that only bad things happen on Twitter. I got a Twitter. I got convinced by a lot of people that were around me said, no, things are happening. You have to see what's going on on here. I signed up. I got an account. Basically, everything I thought was true <laughs> is, uh, in my own opinion, when it comes to Twitter, and not to offend anybody who's a big Twitter user and who shares some pleasant things every once in a while, 
But in general, Twitter's kind of a cesspool of negativity. Um, and I don't think it's a very effective platform for commuting policy and what's happening about what's happening. Um, I have signed up for all the ward emails that can, that can come out from an official ward office account. I did it before the election. I did it before the campaign period and I saw who sent out communications to anybody who could subscribe to an email. You didn't have to be a resident there, but hey, you wanna hear what's happening in ward one, sign up for the email for ward one and you'll get the note from a counselor when, when they come out. And those are still active today, even though the counselor has changed it, when it comes out from the official ward one or 10 or 11 or 12 or 13 account, um, I get copied on it. Um, I haven't seen an email come out from probably three quarters uh, of the wards. Um, I do have to, and this is one thing, I said I was gonna mention the good, the bad and the ugly. <laughs> so what's the good? Because we've talked about the bad and the ugly for the last day. The bad and the ugly, and there's so much more to talk about. But uh, you do have to give a pat on the back, even if you don't agree with some of the things that they said. Um, the um, uh, ward, um, Jasmine Yan. Ward uh, three. Ward three, counselor. I, I certainly don't agree with everything she has to say. But one of the things that she did vow as one of her goals was increased communication. And, you know, I, I, I've watched th things with Jasmine and I've, I've watched your interview with Jasmine. And one of the things that she spoke about was, you know, we do need to do a better job of, of communicating to the people in our ward and to the people in the city of Calgary. And hats off to her. I have to give her a pat on the back because, you know what, I've seen more emails come out from the Ward 3 office from Jasmine than almost as, as the rest of the councillors combined. Good job on her. Her One of her goals was to have better communication and have a method where it's all laid out and you can read it, respond to it if you want to, without doing it in a public forum, like if it was on Facebook or Twitter or something like that. And she's done a good job so far. I got to say, six months in, as far as communication goes, once again, she wasn't. she's not my favorite counselor, but she's doing the best job in this area. Hats off to her. I will agree. I'm not signed up to all of them. I forgot that you could actually sign up to those newsletters. So guess what I'm doing after this interview? Um, how do I say this? How do I say this nicely? And I like information. I like information that is in-depth. I like larger than 240 characters of tweets. Council needs to do a better job than tweet everything that's on their mind. Oh. That, that's an attack. That's not an attack. That's a, that's a listen up guys. If you think the next four years is going to be just 240 characters every single day, then this is going to be really long four years. And this is going to be really boring four years. For about a month and a half, I was off Twitter during my uh, uh, surgery and I wasn't doing much on it. And I can tell you it was the best month of my life where I didn't have to deal with it. And I didn't get any information from the city. Like nothing, no newsletter in the mailbox. No, I got my, I got my assessment, of course, because they yeah. want you to pay that. 
but I didn't get any notification on what's going on. And did your counselor have anything in your local community newsletter? Anything? No. Okay. We don't need, we don't have local community newsletters up here. Yeah. You do. Well, I've never gotten one. I've never gotten one. I've lived here for two and a half years. I've never gotten a local community newsletter. I'll get you hooked up. Oh, there you go. Um, do better. Communicate to the masses, not to the minority. The minority on Twitter is great, but you are missing a large swath of the population who did not vote in the last election and who are not engaged. Let's engage them and let's do it in a timely fashion. Communicate with everyone, not just the ones. There's my there's my rant for communications there for a second. <laughs> I know we could probably go on for another hour, but we are at the hour mark. And I want to talk about one last subject. And that is what's next. We are six months into this, this term. And I know it's still relatively young. We hopefully all the counselors now have their sea legs on and they can actually walk and run and chew gum at the same time. What are you looking for in the next six months, a year? What would you want them to look at? What would you want them to their focus to be on? Because I have my focus, but what's your focus that you hope this council actually focuses them on? I've got two things that come to mind Go right for away. Um, Four-year planning cycle for the budget. Um, given particularly the things that we've seen with costs and inflation and some of the things we've already talked about um, in, in this episode here. Please, everybody who is a fiscal hawk during your campaign, show your feathers and look at that hard when it comes to the, that, that four-year budget process going forward because we are in some challenging times both as a city and individuals living in this city when it comes to costs. And now is the time to live up to the promises that we spoke about during the campaign. I don't remember anybody campaigning on the platform of, yeah, we're going to keep your tax increases going about the same amount they've increased in the last 10 years or so. Nobody said that. Not one person said that. They one all said they were going to go through that that budget with a fine tooth comb and make sure that they were spending appropriately. Yes, you know, and it was put under different phrases. It was smart spending or smart investments, or it was, there was a lot of different phrases that were used. Fiscal responsibility was thrown around, um, but it's time that going forward, especially in light of what we're seeing right now with housing costs, with inflation in general, please, please, please have a hard look at that. Get some help if you need it. But there needs to be a focus on that. And the second thing that that is a big thing for me is, and I don't think, I don't have the confidence they'll have some any success with this, but that tube deal that they threw away with the Calgary Sports and Entertainment Group for the event center downtown, um, it's, it helped part of downtown revitalization is to have people go down there and want to go down there. And it's not just the event center, it's blocks. It's a whole radius of a neighborhood that would be built up. The, so many people who are against 
the event center and, and we're happy that the event center deal fell apart didn't see the big picture but what about all the development around the event center you're going to jobs have the jobs for it the the buildings the residences the condos the office buildings the the restaurants the other entertainment all that's going to build up around there and the tax dollars that are going to be generated by that development and growth around the event center and drawing people down to that beltline core you know i heard i heard councillor candidates during the election you know some of them that were against it i'm not going to point fingers that you know who you are when you hear this comment we don't need another hockey arena we've got one they they thought Which is it was, falling apart black mold all that fun stuff so yeah it, it so but that was an opinion and and they shared it and now i've heard a count from or a quote from that same person saying you know that was a, now that they realize it when they saw the bigger picture of what else is going to get canceled because of the failed event center or arena project, they realize how important it is to generating revenue for the city, generating interest in the city, rebuilding that vital and vibrant Beltline core. So now, well, geez, we got to find another partner. We got to do something. You're not going to find another partner. It's not going to happen. Who else has the pockets and the willingness to develop that large an investment down there? Who would have the vested interest in doing it if it's not a professional sports and entertainment group? It's, I, I hope I'm wrong, but for the life of me, I've been thinking about this since Christmas when it died. And they said, no, that's going to open. You know, the quote, I think somebody said, it's going to open us up to find another partner that can do this with the city. That, that's not realistic. It, it's not, it doesn't exist. It's dreamland. So I know they're focusing and there's a new committee and some of our most sensible counselors are on that committee to find solutions to try and move forward with a new event center deal in some way, shape or form. So I, I wish the best of luck to them and they need to focus on that quickly because as time goes, it's going to get harder instead of getting easier so and more expensive rather than less expensive so i really hope they have success I, i'm not holding out a lot of optimism on it but I, I wish them all the best and they need to focus on that rather quickly i will agree to the second part of that here i but i will say this for what i'm hoping for for the next six months year this is the time to make big decisions this is not the time for weak ideas. Start being strong. And this is a, this is the statement to all the council. We are we are struggling right now as a city. Vacancy rates are going up. Housing market is getting really hot right now. The bubble is about to happen. The green line is the green line to nowhere, it seems like, because it's not going on. We have issues around the arena deal. We are a great city. We Our potential is so underutilized right now. Make some big choices. Get the people of Calgary to back you, and we will come with you. 
But if we're sitting here and we're talking about the green line that should have been built 10 years ago in a year's time, the next four years is going to be nothing. Make the decisions. We've elected you to make the decisions. Tell us why you're making the decisions afterwards, but make the decisions. You are here to represent us. Communicate with us what you're doing, but make the decisions and we will come with you. If you are coming back to us every six months and saying, we've got to find a million dollars to do this. No, your poll numbers are going to dip even further. Make some decisions. We are a great city. We can do better. We can be better. It's just this council needs to get off the pot and actually put some freaking minds to work here. So that's my one issue that I hope is addressed in the next six months. If we're still talking. If I have to come talk to you in six months, Mike Lavalley, and say, so where's the green line? Um, it's going to be an issue in four years again. I'm going to make, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make the prediction now that because of the amount of money being spent, we're going to start to see some updates. But in terms of the completion of that first phase that was approved as the green line, I'll wager you a dollar that it's, uh, it, it's an issue again in three years when the next campaign's going on and in terms of what we're doing with it. I will wager you a dollar that in three years, the ground, the shovels will be in the ground. Oh, I think they will. I guarantee you that September of 2025, when that election is supposed to happen. Oh, look, we found the money and we've got everything done with a $9 billion price tag now. But anyway, um, Mike, always a pleasure. We will have you back on next month to talk uh, municipal politics. Now that everything's settled down, you're no longer uh, doing uh, snowmobiling. So that way you can have more time. I'm not going through uh, surgery anytime soon, knock on wood. Uh, but we'll have you back on for sure. Always a pleasure, Chris. A anytime. Awesome. So with that, remember, everyone, have yourself an excellent rest of your day, but just keep talking. Get out from behind that social media feed. Have a conversation with somebody. It's a weird concept, but it actually does make your life a little bit better when you actually sit down and have a conversation. So with that, my name is Christopher Brown, the host of the Cross Border Interviews with Chris Brown. Talk to you guys later. Cross-Border Interviews with Chris Brown was produced and edited by Miranda Brown Associates Incorporated. To learn more about us, visit crossborderinterviews.ca.